Welcome to The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of what is Al-Anon. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them, take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find in our sharing something that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you today, Kelly? I'm great, Spencer. Thanks. And also, we have co-host Swetha. How are you, Swetha? Great, thank you. All right. And uh, so our first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, What is Al-Anon? Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend, and in our lives. We will follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. I want to start by reading the Al-Anon preamble, which is the way that many of our meetings are opened. The Al-Anon family groups are a fellowship of relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience, strength, and hope in order to solve their common problems. We believe alcoholism is a family illness and that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Al-Anon is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution, does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. There are no dues for membership. Al-Anon is self-supporting through its own voluntary contributions. Al-Anon has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps, by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics, and by giving understanding and encouragement to the alcoholic. So as I said, my name is Spencer, and uh, I'm going to start um, by asking uh, each of us to say a little bit about why we came to Al-Anon. Why don't don't you start, Swetha? Uh, I came to I came to Al-Anon. Actually, I, I had no idea what Al-Anon was um, until um, I was I was dating a guy that was in in AA, and um, he had already been in recovery for a few years, and uh, we'd been together a little while. So he you know heard my life story by then, and um, in all of its codependent glory, and uh, he I, at one point. <clears throat> I was telling him that my father was coming into town and I was really nervous because of a relationship I have with my father that is extremely codependent. Um, and he said, well, I go to this program, uh, I go to Al-Anon and it's, uh, it's helped me a lot and helped me figure out what my boundaries are and things like that. And, uh, why don't you come with me? And I, I thought, no, <laughs> no, but I was, uh, too codependent to say no. So I said, okay. And then went, um, and, uh, and I heard a couple of people talk about, um, things that really did speak to my life. At that point, I didn't realize I had really alcoholism in my life. I thought I just had a few people that maybe drank too much or did a few drugs, um, <laughs> too much, but, uh, it's not really, you know, having an addiction problem. <laughs> it's repeatedly doing something they don't want to do, uh, consciously or something. I don't know. Anyway. That's, um, that's why I came and I, then I didn't go back for a while because I didn't want to want my boyfriend to think that he had a huge effect on my life. So I didn't want him to, (laughs) I didn't want him to know. (laughs) So I didn't go back for a while. And then I realized that a lot of the things that people were saying, I still reached out and a lot of the things people were saying were helping me. So that's why I went back. 
It helped me feel calm, even if just for a moment, talking to people. Thank you, Svetha. How about you, Kelly? Well, I also came to the program because of a partner relationship. I kind of wish we had a co-host here today who came because of their kids. I feel like (laughs) we have kind of a singular message this morning. But um, yeah, I, I started dating a guy who had been sober for five years at the time we met. And I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home, so I had no frame of reference for alcoholism or anything surrounding that. Although in hindsight, looking back, pretty much everyone that I dated prior to this man could have qualified for (laughs) some program or another. Um, But uh, yeah, he, he brought me here and actually I came at the suggestion of his sponsor who said that I've, if I was uh, in, wanting to be in a relationship with this man that that I was sick and there was something <laughs> wrong with me and I, and I needed a program as well. So I came and I didn't understand what people were talking about. I couldn't really relate. And it just seemed kind of like a foreign language, like I was kind of in a foreign country. But I did notice that I liked the aspect of, of the commun- sense of community that there was in meetings, that a lot of the people seemed to know each other and they laughed a lot. And um, I actually, because nothing resonated with me, I actually took a, a hiatus from the program for about two years. And then uh, because of some circumstances with that primary relationship where uh, our codependency got out of control and his disease got out of control, that we ended up coming back to the program. And at that point, because I had sort of quote unquote hit my bottom, uh, a lot of what I heard people talking about in meetings started to make more sense and started to click. And at that point, I, I, it, it made sense why I was there. I could, I could definitely relate. Thanks Kelly. And, uh, for me, I also came in, uh, because of a life partner, um, who was struggling with alcoholism and I had been, um, denying the problem while trying to fix it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time I got to Al-Anon, I was, I was pretty desperate. Uh, and, uh, you know, some people, and I guess we don't have any of them around the table here today, um, some people come into Al-Anon expecting to learn how to fix their loved one, fix their loved one's addiction. And that was not my case. I, I knew that I was coming here for myself, um, that... Uh, you know, I had hit a bottom that I, I had could not continue life the way it was. And I was willing to try something. I, you know, didn't see how this was really going to help, but I had heard that it might and I was desperate. So I came and, uh, um, you know, in the, in the opening, uh, in the preamble that I read, uh, we talk about, it says we, we believe Al-Anon is a family or alcoholism is a family illness. And I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, but I guess what, what, one of the things that I came to understand was that because alcoholism and addiction affects a person's actions and affects, um, the way that they interact with other people around them, that, that their, their sickness, um, sort of spreads through that mind to mind contact, if you will. Um, and it, it makes those of us who, um, are in a close relationship with them, uh, 
I don't know. We pick up a lot of the characteristics, I think, of the disease. Uh, it's it's pretty, except for the actual uh, <clears throat> drinking or drugging part. And uh, I don't know. What's your understanding of that, Kelly? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up, Spencer, because as I mentioned, I didn't grow up in a household with active alcoholism. But after being in the program for some years, I you know, things start to become a little bit clearer in terms of the extended family dynamic. And I realized that there was uh, active, untreated alcoholism on both sides of my family. Um, and the interesting part is that on my father's side of the family, it goes back to my grandmother's father. And there were no active alcoholics between him and now, I guess. Um, but the interesting thing is that, you know, my, my father still has a lot of characteristics of what we consider, you know, the family dynamic of codependency, of people pleasing, of, um, emotional detachment. Um, a lot of those things that, like Spencer mentioned, that I picked up on and, and those were the ways that I was taught to interact with others. Um, especially my family, but, but also neighbors and schoolmates and, and pretty much everyone I encounter on a daily basis. So, um, I truly do believe that it's a family disease. And I think, you know, uh, the, to me, it seems like the chaos and insanity of living with active alcoholism requires us to develop certain coping mechanisms. And those are the, the actions that help us get through day-to-day living. And because those seem to work, and for people who never seek recovery, th- those are the, the traits that get, that get passed down from, from children and, and parents. So, yeah, I, I do agree that it is a family disease. Swayth, do you have any thoughts on that topic? I really resonate a lot with what Kelly's saying. Yeah, uh, like I said, when I came into the program, I was thinking, <clears throat> actually, my first thought was, I can't be here. I'm cheating. There's no one in my life that's an alcoholic. <laughs> right. Um, except, you know, my boyfriend and my one of my best friends who can't stop taking drugs or drinking and, you know, my, my uncles. And except for those people, there's no one in my life that's an alcoholic. So I'm cheating by being here. Um, but uh, I... In my family, there's a lot of codependency. Like, uh, I mean, very similar to what Kelly was saying, I did not grow up with active alcoholism in my immediate family. Um, holidays were interesting. <laughs> Those were <laughs> people got a little bit goofy on holidays, but uh, nobody talked about it. And it was, yeah. And uh, so I definitely picked up a lot of people pleasing. And um, a lot of the, a lot of my boyfriends <laughs> were al- alcoholics also. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm adding to this so much as <laughs> seconding <laughs> everything <laughs> Kelly's saying. But yeah, I did. I mean, whenever I was in a situation alcohol with an alcoholic or non-alcoholic, I let them sort of set the rules of the relationship. And whatever they did was how it was supposed to be. And that's how. So I, I not, I didn't so much set my own rules as learned their rules and. So when I was in relationships with alcoholics, if they acted a certain way, I was like, oh, that's the rule. That's how we act. So when I act that way, that's how the other person has to respond because this is the rule. And so, yeah, I definitely I picked up a lot of um, really unhealthy behaviors. And um, when I came into the program, I would 
talk to friends and sponsors and say, well, they're doing this, they're being manipulative and they're, you know, forcing this and stuff like that. And, you know, people would say, well, um, think, think back, have you done any of these <laughs> before? And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> that, that's not as bad or something. I don't know. I had some ridiculous excuse, but, um, yeah, I picked up a lot of their behaviors for sure. It is a family, definitely a family and friends. Very important to say that too. Family and friends disease. It's really hard to. Right. Yeah. I, in somewhere in, in, uh, in one of the books, um, I think it's in how Eleanor works and it's talking about, um, uh, the tradition that, that says, you know, the only qualification for membership is, um, alcoholism, problem of alcoholism in a family member or friend. Mm -hmm. Um, and everywhere else we say family, but I just take that to, to mean, you know, sort of my extended relational family. Um, not just the people that, uh, you know, are um, related to by blood or, or, or marriage or whatever. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, again, like you guys, I didn't grow up with active alcoholism. Uh, I really didn't understand what alcoholism was. I had a certain picture of what an alcoholic was and, and my loved one did not fit that picture. So Mm -hmm. clearly she couldn't be an alcoholic. She just, you know, drank too much. (laughs) And uh, so uh, another benefit that I got from coming to Al-Anon and, and um, you know, was learning about alcoholism and, and learning that, you know, alcoholics come in all shapes and sizes from all walks of life and, and uh, um, that, yeah, my, my loved one really qualified. In my family, uh, I think there is, um, I, I mean, no, there's alcoholism in my um, extended family. Um, I have an uncle and a cousin who are in recovery and have been for several years now. Uh, and they actually, you know, sort of helped me a little bit when I was first getting used to this idea. Uh, and, uh, you know, my mother, as I, I've said before, my mother is sort of raging codependent and I learned it from her very well. And I have to believe that there is some alcoholism back in the family history, but I really don't know where it is. Um, not something anybody talks about, right? Right. Um, we do hide it. Um, you know, at the Wednesday meeting last week, um, a lot of people spoke about uh, being in denial about uh, the fact that their loved one had an alcohol or drug problem. And I wanted to, to, to speak up and say, you know, my denial was so strong that she told me she was an alcoholic and I denied it. Mm-hmm. So, no, that can't be true. <laughs> that can't be true. Um, <laughs> yeah, crazy. And, and so, you know, coming to Al-Anon helped me to, to start to see that sort of thing, to see my denial. Um, and, uh, you know, learning how to, um, live with the effects that alcoholism had had on me, um, and how to start to change those effects. And also, uh, in my case, since I was at that point living with active alcoholism, uh, learning how to, skills to to um to live in that situation and help reduce if not reducing the external chaos at least reducing my internal chaos um you know and there's a couple other programs um that i guess uh none of us have been to so maybe we can't really comment on them but there's a, a program called adult children of alcoholics which is very very like Al-Anon, but focuses on um the issues that people who grew up with their parents as alcoholics um, have in in particular and 
and you know, I have friends who who are also in that program, and and I know they say that there are aspects of of adult children of alcoholics. There are things that are talked about in the meetings that um, really hit home for them, and that those come up maybe I guess less frequently or something in Elena, and I'm not sure, not having been there. And and there's also a program called Codependence Anonymous, which um, I know at least one friend of mine has been to um, when he thought his problem was just codependency and before he recognized the, uh, the alcoholism that was in uh, his background. And I don't know if he still goes to that one or not. Um, he, he chose to come to, to Alan on a couple of years ago. And, um, so I, I don't know, can either of you, do either of you have any experience with those programs that, um, or should we just move on? Um, I've actually sponsored a couple of women who have been active in ACOA, adult children. And I do know they have a, their own set of literature. They have their own, um, how adult children of alcoholics, alcoholics works or something to that extent. Um, it's a massive book. It's really intimidating looking. <laughs> um, and they also have, um, something similar to our fourth step workbook, but it really deals with, I think you touched on this, Spencer, adult children sounds to me like it deals much more with examining the things that you missed out on in childhood as a result of being raised by an alcoholic. So some of the emotional deficiencies and, um, sort of uh, loving type of behaviors that you didn't receive growing up and how to nurture those and change your behavior so that you can be more loving and, uh, you know, um, caring towards others, I guess. I, I haven't actually worked it myself, but I have discussed it a little bit with them. And it it sounds like it is similar. I mean, if you live in an area where they only have Al-Anon and they don't have any ACOA meetings, I don't think they're so different that you would, you know, be totally suffering by not having it. But the, the literature definitely covers a lot of things that isn't or that aren't in the Al-Anon literature. So... Oh, I haven't really had a lot of experience with either. I think my first meeting, I asked what the difference was between Alcoholics Anonymous and Codependence Anonymous and why um, someone would go to one instead of another. And someone in the program just said, they're they're the same thing. I just like the people here. (laughs) They're all my friends here. So it's like, okay, well, that's a whole other meeting that I'd have to commit to. So I'm just going to stay at this one. (laughs) Yeah. And there's also... um, uh, Naranon, which is like Al-Anon, yes. but for uh, specifically dealing with people who have um, addict, uh, mm-hmm. narcotic addict um, loved ones. And I really know very little about that program. Mm-hmm. Um, um, oh, yeah. Um, a, a friend of mine who um, is in Al-Anon and also I think ACOA um, once said that he he left his home. He he went away. He went to school. He, he moved away for you know, and, and for 20 years, he basically denied that he had any problems and finally realized that he was still affected by having grown up in an alcoholic home. And so, uh, and, and so he came to Al-Anon and started to figure out like why he had these recurring patterns of failure in his life, that they were about the way that he had been raised and the, the coping skills that he had learned in his alcoholic home that just didn't 
work in the sort of the regular world. Um, and, uh, you know, that wrecked, uh, for him, uh, lost him jobs, wrecked relationships, and, uh, you know, eventually made him miserable enough that he said, I need to do something about it. And uh, so another um, question that some people have might have is, well, what, how is Al-Anon different from AA? And I guess I'll just uh, throw in my little two cents here is that, well, AA is drinking, is, is dealing with drinking. Um, and Al-Anon is dealing with somebody else's <laughs> drinking. Um, and sometimes we broaden that and, and say, well, uh, in Al-Anon, we learn how to deal with, with relationships and people mm-hmm. um, because uh, our ability to deal with those has been, has been affected, damaged by, um, you know, somebody else's drinking and the effect that somebody else's alcoholism had on us and in our skills. Um, and we do see, um, we, it, especially I think here in Ann Arbor, I don't know, um, I, I understand that in some places it's less common, but we see a lot of AA members coming to Al-Anon. Um, and, uh, you know, my sponsor has told me he feels that any AA member is sort of automatically qualified for Al-Anon because um, they always have family members or close friends who are alcoholics. Or um, in some cases, um, I know a number of people who've ended up coming to Al-Anon because they couldn't deal with um, their sponsees, uh, you know, the people that they were sponsoring, maybe going back out and drinking and, and, you know, their desire to, to control, um, uh, those people and and they knew that they couldn't they knew they were powerless over alcohol but um, when you know uh, they would try to talk about those issues in an AA meeting and and somebody maybe their sponsor would say you know that's an Al-Anon issue you should go to Al-Anon for that and uh, or you know they grew up in an alcoholic home or they're married to somebody who's an alcoholic or they're you know it, it's 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 all there um, Kelly do you have thoughts on uh, uh, this I do. I I think from my perspective, I look at it that both programs deal with addiction. Um, AA deals with substance addiction. And as you mentioned, I, I, I get the impression that the program here in Ann Arbor is slightly different from some other areas where a lot of the AA meetings in our area are very welcoming to drug addicts as well. Um, and they realize that a lot of people are cross addicted, that you may just not be addicted to one substance. You may have used many, many different kinds. Um, but, you know, a lot of times we talk in the Al-Anon meetings here about how our addiction is people and relationships. And um, that is true for me. You know, it's it, it was so much easier for me to focus on what everybody else was doing and trying to plan out their lives and control their behavior and get them to do the things that I thought were best instead of focusing on my own life and problems of which there were many. So, so to me, that, that is almost kind of a similarity and a difference in the same sense that they both deal with addiction. Al-Anon is just more about, um, my addiction to people or, or my codependency. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I haven't had a ton of experience uh, with AA, but um, I have read that in the past that uh, people, uh, friends and families of alcoholics used to go to AA meetings with their alcoholics back, like way back in the day, and um, that uh, that that was helpful. Also, I mean, I I somebody actually mentioned to me recently that the difference between people in Al-Anon and people in AA is, I mean, we have 
essentially the same issues, but that we, but it manifests differently sometimes that, um, uh, for example, <laughs> I can be really self-centered and, uh, have really low self-esteem and a really big ego and I and simultaneously accuse my uh, qualifiers of that while <laughs> manifesting those traits. So um, yeah, I just like Spencer said, I think it's just dealing with uh, w- or and Kelly, it's just two different addictions, same issues. I did want to mention too, I know Spencer, you talked about how in this area, a lot of AA members do come to Al-Anon and I have um, sponsored a few of them. And I've noticed uh, that, you know, there are a lot of similarities in the behavior, as Swetha mentioned, but there are some differences, too. And I think it's important to mention that if you are in both programs, it's really important to have a sponsor in each program or all of the programs that you attend, <laughs> um, because there are enough differences where um, it's important to have that um perspective from each program to help you get through whatever issues you're having i yeah i've i've sponsored some uh, some guys in a in al-anon who are also in aa and and one of them um you know he would call me and he would say you know i'm i'm doing this thing or i, I want to do this thing what do you think and i would you know tell him what i thought and he said man that's what my AA sponsor said too darn it <laughs> okay um <laughs> And, and to me, that speaks to, you know, in some cases, the, the, the similarity of the approach of the programs that, I mean, once you get past that first, I mean, the words of the steps, the words of the 12 steps are almost identical between the two programs. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that in step 12, we carry the message to others. And in AA, they carry the message to alcoholics. That's the only word that's different between the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And clearly... Um, you know, AA members uh, deal with that first step, powerlessness over alcohol, in a different way than than we do. We deal with our powerlessness over the effects of alcohol on other people. But they also say, I, I've heard it said in, in AA, that, you know, I'm powerless over people, places, and things. And that is exactly mm-hmm. yes. where we are. Um, and so once you get past that first step, um, there's all... A whole lot of similarity in mm-hmm. in the programs. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I listened to our step two um, talk from uh, you know discussion from last week, and I'm like, wow, there's almost nothing that's Al-Anon specific in what we said. Um, yeah. And I've had this experience talking um, on the Recovered podcast, which is is more focused on AA. That um, unless we're talking about things that deal sort of directly with drinking, directly with alcohol, um, we're saying the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, you know, um, we, we're starting to, to talk about how Elanon helps us. We've talked about that a little bit. And I want to read an email we got from one of our listeners. Um, this is from Diana. And she says, I always joke that Elanon doesn't change anything about my life, except for the amount of sleep I get. <laughs> there is a little truth to that. It provides me with a different perspective and interpretation of the things that happen in my life. And with that, the support and tools I need to handle those situations with calm and grace. In effect, I lose a lot less sleep because the world stops happening to me and instead I allow myself to play an active, decisive, and genuine role in my own life. I use the program to be a better version of myself, to myself, and in my other relationships. And so, Kelly, how do you see Elanon? Uh, how has Elanon helped you? How does it help you now? Um, very briefly, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could go on for days about that. Um, I actually, you know, I was thinking about it this week as we had 
selected this as the topic. And as I just had some random thoughts during some moments of meditation in the mornings, I had written down that Al-Anon to me is the gray area. It's the space between right and wrong, black and white, the place where I can find peace, patience, and understanding, a space that moves me away from fear and into love, a new way of living. And so for me, it's really about just, God, it's so hard to to say it succinctly, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, be like, as much like uh, Diana had mentioned, just being a better person to myself and those around me, being more present, being more aware, and, um, and, and knowing that it isn't, that there are very few situations or circumstances where the answers are only this or that you know, where there are only two options that there's in most circumstances, I have a multitude of choices and um, it's terrifying and freeing to know that at the same time. Swetha? Succinctly? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, we, we, we do want to keep the podcast under, you know, two hours. (laughs) Um, Al-Anon, uh, how Alanon helps me. I, I think uh, this past week, I, uh, for example, this past week, I got some pretty devastating news. And um, I, if, if a year ago, before I came to Alanon, I would have uh, spiraled. Not That's not to say I haven't a little bit <laughs> in the past few days, but I would have spiraled and sunk into a self-pitying depression and, um, and things like that. But uh, rather than being self-aware and being present and trying to be solution oriented and realize where my boundaries are, what my limits are and what I can do and worry about what I couldn't do. And um, with Al-Anon, I've been able to be self-aware, been able to get up and get dressed and shower <laughs> and um, and laugh still. I mean, uh, and, uh, and be okay and realize that these are the things I can do. Sometimes I'm going to screw up and, and I'm all right and I'm still a person. So I, I guess Al-Anon just helped me be okay with myself and, and be calm in that. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I, you know, as I as I said earlier, I I did come into the program while I had active drinking, active alcoholism in my life, and so, right at the beginning, uh, I mean, at my first Al-Anon meeting, what helped me was realizing that I wasn't alone. That um, there were there were other people in the world who understood what was going on in my life and that would not judge me. And then I started to see that, that those people, you know, a lot of the people in the meetings, maybe they were still living with active drinking and they seemed happier than me. They seemed more serene. They seemed uh, more able to connect with their life. And so, you know, at the beginning, those are the things that I learned from al I learned how to, how to um, stop obsessing. I learned how to, to um, you know, to start to bring myself back into my life uh, because I my life had been consumed by uh, the actions of another person uh, and trying to control those actions and try to trying to change the way that person acted and that really is pretty much an impossible task and so it was driving me nuts <laughs> and of course I didn't recognize it you know it's like the you know the the story about uh, cooking a frog, right? You put the frog in a pot of cold water and you slowly heat it up and the frog never realizes it's getting hot until it's too late. And that's kind of where it was 
for me that mm. that it was gradual, right? It built up gradually and and I didn't really notice how bad it was until it was really, really bad for me. And uh, and then I didn't know what to do. You know, I couldn't hop out of the pot. And uh, um, so Al-Anon helped me to to learn ways of of being without getting boiled. Okay, to and then we're going to stop that analogy now. I think um, <laughs> <laughs> because I took it a little too far. <laughs> um, and then what I what I started to see was that the ways in which, um, well, the ways in which my responses to the alcoholism um, in my loved one had affected me, had um, really, you know, damaged the ways that I interacted with people around me. Um, I had a huge amount of anger and rage inside me, and that came out uh, often at very inappropriate times and always as a, what would, you know, be a, a real overreaction to whatever the stimulus was. Um, that somebody would do something little and I would scream and shout and pound the table. And, you know, when that happened at home, then my kids would cringe. And I, my daughter said to me recently that she said, Oh yeah, I would just go in the other room and eventually you would calm down and come apologize. You know, that's not the person that I wanted to be, but that's the person that I was that would happen at work, which was really, um, inappropriate. And I think, you know, I was coming close to being fired for, for that kind of behavior. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it came up in my, my annual review and like, you know, you need to take some anger management classes. If you can't get this under control, I don't know if you can continue to work here. So it wasn't like you're out of here, but it was, it was a very clear signal. And thank God that I had already started to find Elanon at that point. And, and Elanon really helped me to bring that under control mostly by, well, I don't know. I, you know, one of the things they gave me was a place where I could start to express the the anger that I had um, in a safe place, and so um, it it didn't pile up. But it also, um, you know, I learned different ways to act so that the anger didn't come in the first place. Uh, and uh, um, and I have I think I have to credit my higher power there because it's not something that I could have done for myself. It really is not something I could have done for myself. And so working yes. my my higher power working through the program. Mm-hmm. Um, working, you know, in my life, uh, really changed the way that, that I act and, and interact with people. Uh, Kelly, could you, uh, read the email we got from Nikki? Yes. Nikki says, for me, Al-Anon has been a lifesaver. It is a program that has taught me how to care for myself and how to stop obsessing over my alcoholic. It has brought me peace and serenity. It has brought me amazing friendships with people I would have never otherwise met if it weren't for this disease and my need for help. It has taught me that I need a recovery program just as much as my loved one does. It's taught me to ask for help, something I never thought I could do before. It's taught me many slogans that help me get through the tough days and times. The three C's, which is didn't, con- uh, sorry, didn't cause it, can't control it, can't cure it. Detachment, let go and let God, and let it begin with me. It brings me peace. It has opened my eyes, and because of Al-Anon, I am never alone, and I always have someone to turn to for help. And I'm so glad that um, that she submitted this, because as you were talking, Spencer, I started thinking that something I left out when, when I had been explaining what Al-Anon is to me is about asking for help. I distinctly remember this feeling before the program of 
total isolation and this sort of inner competitiveness almost of feeling like I have to do this myself. I have to do this alone. I have to fix this. I can't tell anyone how bad this is. They would never believe me. They would never understand. Um, and, and sometimes it's just hard to put into words, you know, how you're feeling or how your situation is affecting you. And so I'm so glad that she brought up the idea of asking for help because that is something that I vehemently opposed when I first came to the program. I just thought it was an issue of capability, you know, that if I couldn't do it myself, there was something wrong with me or I wasn't worthy. And today I know that a lot of that is just craziness in my head. And when, as soon as I bounce my thoughts off someone else, they usually, much like you said about your sponsee, Spencer, that they usually confirm that uh, I'm crazy and that what I was thinking of doing is probably not the best option. And so it just, it, it helps me stay right-sized and, and be, like you said, Spencer, the person that I want to be, not the person that my first instinct tells me to be so yeah asking for help is a huge benefit and you also said you talked about not being able to put your feelings into words Mm. and uh, you know one of one of the experiences that i often have in a meeting is to have somebody else talking about their life talking about their experience strength and hope and and to have this sort of click light bulb thing in my head like oh wow that is me um, and, and I have actually said in meetings, you know, after somebody shared, I said, wow, how did you get inside my head? <laughs> you know, how is it that you're living my life? Uh, because that I have that exact same experience, but maybe I hadn't seen it or I, I hadn't put words to it. And so just the sharing of our, uh, of our experience, um, can help us to, or, or other people sharing their experience can help me to recognize uh, things that I hadn't seen before. Uh, it also helps to validate that I'm not weird. <laughs> okay, um, I, I've done, um, I've gone through the twelve steps a, a couple times with a group, and uh, including going through in fairly fair, fair amount of detail um, our inventories uh, together. And when we get to a question about um, you know, potential character defect. And it's something that I'm feeling some shame about, uh, some embarrassment about. And when sort of everybody else in the group says, Oh yeah, you know, shares their, their version of that defect. And, and, and it comes back to not being alone, but it it also comes back to, to validating my humanity. Right. Um, that I'm not weird. I'm not, I'm not out there on the edge. I'm not a horrible person. Um, I'm just human. Mm -hmm. And so are you. Yeah, I, I completely, I don't know why I'm here. I feel like today you guys are just like covering it. And I'm like, yeah, I second that <laughs> right there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. Actually, Spencer, I, I loved what you said a lot. Um, usually when we come to the segment of our show where we're talking about our meetings, since all three of us kind of go to these same meetings, <laughs> and it's interesting to hear all three of us have different perspectives or take different messages from the same meetings. And when I go to meetings, I kind of feel like that about my life. Like even if I'm not sharing three different people will share and I'll hear 
my story three different perspectives and I'll, I'll see it from different angles rather than from my tiny corner of the universe. And, um, and because I was able to hear all of that, I was, I was able to, to ask for help. And sometimes help doesn't come in terms of, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. Sometimes it comes in terms of, um, this is what I need. And, uh, that's something I've, I've definitely done a lot more these past few days. And it's been insane. This is the first time yesterday for the first time in my life, I actually asked for a hug because I needed it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is really uncomfortable, but I got a hug. <laughs> so we're good. We're good. But, um, but yeah. And another thing about this program is that there is an incredible sense of community and I don't feel isolated anymore and I reached out to people and um in the past I I did that too I was very competitive I didn't want anyone to know that I I couldn't handle something because I thought they'd think I was weak and I already had low enough self-esteem without everyone else thinking knowing rather all these sad truths that I knew about myself but um it turned out to be a source of strength because I was then able to um I was then able to say you know this is this is just who I am I'm someone that needs a hug right now and it's been amazing. People have just, you know, constantly been sending me texts or phone calls like, hey, thinking of you, uh, let me know if you need anything, you know, prayers and thoughts, that kind of stuff. And wow, just Al-Anon in so many ways has been such a lifesaver in that way. Which leads me to the, the next question here is, <laughs> is why do you keep coming back? I mean, I, and I don't mean that in a why the heck would you keep coming back? <laughs> um, because I know why I keep coming back, and I'm 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 interested to hear what your experience is. Well, um, separate from the sense of community, I I think so. In the in the big book for of AA, which uh, I really I really like reading, it says in there that we are never cured; that we are granted a day's reprieve. I'm, I'm not quoting it exactly, but we're essentially granted a day's reprieve, and um, which is based on our spiritual condition. And when I come back to Al-Anon, I, I feel renewed. I feel like I'm not alone, that there are other people like me because it's so easy, so quick for me to go back to that place of I'm alone. I have to do this by myself. I'm going to power through it, bite the bullet and, and all of that. And, um, and when I am alone, when I am away from people that understand, that I feel like understand, that I feel like I can connect with, I, I, I return to those old behaviors. And um, when I go to Al-Anon, even if I'm reading literature, even if I'm talking to people, um, there's nothing like a meeting for me. And uh, when I go to Al-Anon, I, I'm able to remember, like, look at all of these people. They're all here. They're all supportive. They're all hopefully not judging me. Um, and at the end of the meeting, my absolute favorite part of every meeting is at the end of the meeting, we all hold hands. We say the serenity prayer. And then um, we say, works if you work it. And my absolute favorite part, you're worth it. Which it's it's nice to be reminded every so often, and not just you know keep telling myself you know I, I can do it I can do it, but someone a group of people sometimes saying that to me can be my higher power. That's that's why I keep coming back. What about you, Spencer? Um, well, you know, at the beginning I kept coming back because it was it was really helping me to um, to live in peace with with my alcoholic, um, and you know my alcoholic's been in sobriety for a while, but. If I don't come to Al-Anon, um, now that I recognize my dysfunctional behaviors and dysfunctional thinking, um, if I don't come to Al-Anon regularly, uh, and you know maybe there would be another place, but Al-Anon works. Uh, I I start to go back into those ways of thinking and and those behaviors, and it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I like to make the the analogy with going to a gym. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the gym to get yourself um, physically, to help yourself physically, you know, to your physical health. And you don't go to the gym for a couple of weeks and, you know, build up some muscle, build up some endurance. Well, maybe it takes more than a couple of weeks, but, you know, unless you're taking, uh, you know, steroids or something. And, uh, <laughs> that's another program. <clears throat> yeah, that's another program, exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, you don't say, oh, I got this gym thing. I don't need to go anymore. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and for me, Al-Anon is like that. It's my spiritual exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it keeps me uh, mentally and spiritually healthy. Mm-hmm. And I need to keep doing that. I need to keep working that program. You know, um, I think it might have been the first year I was in Al-Anon. It came around to New Year's. Mm-hmm. And, and whichever year it was, we had a meeting on New Year's Day my regular meeting happened to fall on New Year's Day. And, and so one of the p- things people were talking about in the meeting was, was New Year's resolutions. And, uh, and I said, you know, I am, I'm, I'm done making New Year's resolutions. I have one resolution, and it's not one I make at the beginning of the year. It's one that I make all the time, which is to keep working this program. Mm-hmm. And that's the only resolution that I need because if I keep working this program, I will fix everything else that I want to fix. Mm-hmm. Kelly? Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I keep coming back. Well, actually, there's a, there's a, um, there's someone in, in one of our meetings who explains it in a way that when he first started coming, he felt good for the hour that he was in the room. And then as soon as he left, he would start to feel crazy again. And then eventually, you know, he would feel good for the hour of the meeting and then, when he got in his car and then about a mile down the road and then he would start to feel crazy. And anyway, to shorten the story, the way that he keeps explaining it is gradually he felt better for longer and longer after each meeting that he attended. And I can definitely relate to that because when I first started coming, it was, um, you know, as, as codependent as my relationship was, it was an hour break away from my alcoholic that I really needed. You know, I needed that space to be away from him, to, to be in my own space, to hear other people talking. Um, you know, I, I just needed to be forced out of, out of my codependent situation. And so, you know, I felt better for an hour at a time. And now I'm at a point where it's, I feel like it's just become part of my lifestyle. It's not, um, like Spencer said, it's not like going to the gym for the month of January and then deciding I don't want to work out anymore. You know, it's, it's something that I, I don't feel right if I don't go now. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, much as you both said, I start to feel crazy if I go too long without going to a meeting. And, you know, nowadays it's, it's where all my friends are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I still have friends out of the program and I still have coworkers, but the people that I'm closest to, the people that I relate to the most and the people that I am most honest with in my relationships are in the program. And it's really sad if I have to go a couple of weeks without <laughs> seeing them. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's almost kind of a part of me now. What would you say to somebody who is thinking about coming to Al-Anon? Um, they haven't come. They're not sure what Al-Anon, Al-Anon might do for them. Maybe they're not sure if they qualify. Um, uh, what might you say to, to a friend? Not it. <laughs> not it. Not it. <laughs> Kelly first. I, uh, <laughs> I'll volunteer. <laughs> I would say 
that for me, it was one of those things in the beginning that I had to do, even though I didn't want to do it. And so I would say, if you're scared, all of us are terrified when we come to our first meeting. So you're not alone in that sense. I would, well, well, and I feel like what we usually suggest around this area anyway, is to try six meetings, whether it's six different meetings or going to the same meeting six times, whatever works for you and your schedule. But I would say that it's worth trying. And it's been my experience that there are lots of people in this world who are affected by this disease and may or may not know it. I think it's, I think alcoholism is very prevalent out there. And I think the only way to be sure if you qualify is to actually go and hear what people have to say. Because much as um, Spencer and Swetha mentioned, a lot of times the relating to the program, especially in the beginning, comes from just hearing other people who have experienced the same situation or similar situations to what you have. And you can't get that through just the literature, mm -hmm. in my experience. So I would say go for it. Take a friend if you have to, you know, if you're, if you're, yeah. if you're too nervous to go by yourself, ask somebody to go with you. Um, yeah, just do it. I if guess. I can add to that, Kelly. And I second that. Um, <laughs> but if I could add to that when I went to my first meeting, I think, um, pick, if, yeah, like you said, just go it, go there, try it. And, um, for me, picking up a phone list, uh, helped a lot. I mean, people, they're really friendly. They're on the phone list because they want to be called. They're willing to take your calls. They're willing to talk to you. And, um, yeah, pick up a phone list, make the calls. Uh, that's what, that's what kept me coming back and helped me realize that I, I do belong there and, uh, that it's okay because as my, my standard was always, I don't really belong here. They don't really understand me. I'm alone. And one meeting wouldn't have done it for me, obviously didn't do it for me. Um, so yeah, pick a phone list, call people, talk to people, ask questions. Yeah. That. Spencer. Yeah. I think I just want to, um, touch a little bit on the, um, you know, do I belong here question? Mm -hmm. Uh, because that is, that is one that I hear people asking a lot. Um, one of the, uh, the Wednesday night meeting that, that I is, I consider my home group every after every meeting, we have what we call a, a newcomers meeting, which allows people who are new to the program to sit down with some people who are uh, have more time in the program, more experience, and and to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that that I often hear is, you know, I don't I don't know if I belong here. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know. I don't I don't think anybody in my family drinks, but um, when I came here. I, I heard things that I really identified with and, and I mean, I have two responses there. One, the immediate response is, well, if, if you're hearing stuff that you connect with, then you probably belong here, whether you know where that came from or not. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and actually I would reflect what, what Kelly said that, you know, in that in your family the the act of alcoholism at least on, on on your father's side of the family was way back but you can still see the effects and i remember somebody saying in a meeting that uh, she had heard somewhere that the effects of alcoholism can last in the family up to seven generations um and uh 
that's kind of scary thought actually. Um, so if you're not sure you, you qualify, but the, the stuff that we're talking about here, um, strikes a chord with you, you identify with some of the things we've said, um, and you haven't been to a meeting, I would suggest that you give it a try because, uh, um, you know, you may find, uh, a lot more joy in your life as a result. Um, Spencer, really quickly, I just wanted to share, um, at a meeting recently, someone spoke and I think it was only her third or fourth meeting. And she had said that she wasn't sure if she qualified because she was looking at her surroundings. She had no family members. She had no distant family members. She wasn't in a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. She didn't think she'd ever dated someone with a, a, a drinking problem, but she had a really close friend, a best friend that she was starting to feel like maybe had a problem. And she came for, you know, like I said, maybe three or four meetings. And at that point really felt like she qualified. So I, I just wanted to clarify to any listeners who aren't sure. It doesn't have to be someone you're in a relationship with. It doesn't have to be a child or a parent. It can just be a close friend. And the other thing that I wanted to say is you really have nothing to lose by going to a meeting other than maybe uh, some, an hour of your life, an hour of your life and maybe some, uh, you know, bad behavior. But other, <laughs> other than that, you know, I think it's worth taking a chance on anyway. Mm-hmm. Take a chance on us. I huh? mean, we should have used that song. Oh, that's, Take, that's a good song. Yeah. Um, I think I want to uh, close this section um, with a reading that I found just recently um, and seemed to really strike a chord with, I think, both Swetha and Kelly. Uh, this is uh, from a poem by the poet Rumi. And he says... Do not dwell in darkness like a night bird. Pray for the monsters of your imagination. Get up and seek the light. Look towards the sun. And I will say that that Alanon has really helped me with not dwelling in darkness, with not letting the monsters of my imagination prey on me, um, and with, with giving me some light that I can look towards. So after a short break, we'll be back with our lives in recovery where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And Kelly, what what music are we going to play now? Well, our first musical selection is Jeff Buckley singing Hallelujah. There's a lot of different versions of this song, um, and some of them are really good. But this is the one I'm most familiar with, and so um, so I picked Jeff's version. But, um, you know, some of the lyrics are... Things, uh, let's see, such as, and love is not a victory march, it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. And so to me, this song, the whole song is really speaking about the idea that, um, you know, the working the program or being in the program or trying to change my way of living is not always easy. It takes a lot of work and it takes time. And even after all of that investment, things still aren't perfect. Um, you know, there's still up and down, ups and downs, but regardless, I still make it through, especially with the presence of higher power. And, you know, obviously the chorus, hallelujah, just to me is sort of celebrating the fact that I found a different way of living. So here it is.
To her kitchen chair, and she broke your throne, and she cut your hair, and from your lips she drew the hallelujah, 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 Baby, I've been here before. I've seen this room and I've walked this floor. You know, I used to live alone before I knew you. And I've seen your flag on the marble arch. And love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah, hallelujah. next section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And I just want a uh, quick comment on the song. Um, I think it was my daughter told me that this is the most covered pop song ever. Like wow. there are the most different people that have covered this song of, of any pop song. It was originally written by Leonard Cohen, um, who has written a lot of other awesome songs, by the way. <laughs> so um, this week, I guess I'll start here. Um, I had um, a short week as far as recovery is concerned um, because I missed a couple of my meetings. Um, well, yeah. I don't know. No, I guess I, I went to my Sunday night meeting, which was very small um, because there was some sporting event happening last Sunday. That Super Bowl That Super Yeah, I think it was the Puppy Bowl. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so we had one table and we did a first step. Um, because we had a newcomer at the table, and that's what we do in that meeting. And you know, and that's one of the things about going to meetings is that that each meeting is different. Each meeting has different traditions. Each meeting has a different, potentially different format. And this is one of the reasons that we encourage people who are coming to Al-Anon to try different meetings. Because um, you know, the the Wednesday night meeting, the Just for Today meeting that uh, we all three of us go to, uh, is a very large meeting. And only a few people actually get to share in that meeting. And, and some people like that because they don't feel pressured to share. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm raising my hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I also go to a couple of other smaller meetings because 
um, you know, those meetings give more people a chance to share. And uh, so at Wednesday night, um, it was um, the first Wednesday of the month, which means in that meeting that uh, uh, one person gives a longer talk about, you know, what brought them to Al-Anon, what they found here, and, and, and how it has changed their lives. And the, the share, um, the lead on Wednesday night was extremely powerful for me. Um, the woman who shared was really honest about um, what happened in her life and, and in particular about how she did not see what was going on in, in her loved ones, that, that the denial was very strong in her, uh, that, uh, you know, she had to be told. <laughs> uh, she didn't, she didn't recognize the, the problem in a friend, in a, in a close friend until he went into recovery, uh, until he checked himself into a treatment program. She didn't even recognize that there was a problem. And that struck a, a chord with a lot of people. Um, I missed Friday night. Um, I had uh, something else I, I had to do. I was out of town. Um, and uh, so I'm glad I'm here. Uh, hmm. Oh, uh, I was at the Friday night meeting, so I'll, I'll pick up there. Um, they were At the Friday night meeting, we looked at the Courage to Change book, The Daily Reader. And um, the reading was about people-pleasing, uh, which uh, I really, really resonated with. Um, and... Uh, there were a lot of really good shares there. I really enjoyed that. And it's, it's interesting. I, the thing that I really like about meetings is that um, if you're open to it, if you really are listening to things, most of the time they're talking. I mean, it feels like for me that they're talking to me. Um, and last Friday when I went to the meeting, I was like, this has nothing to do with the stuff that's going on in my life. Um, and then I was, li- I actually listened. Um, and then afterwards I was talking to someone. And I was like, God, I did this all day (laughs) and um even though it wasn't directly what i was focusing on um it it really was something that i needed to hear and and like uh, for all the people that are thinking about meetings i i definitely felt calm for an hour at least that day and up until i got into my car so um that was it and i also went to the wednesday meeting with spencer and really resonated with a lot of the stuff that um the lead was sharing uh especially about denial and uh, and it's it's interesting that even though I mean I haven't been in the program a long long time I think about six or seven months but um, it's interesting how much all of these things still affect me and that uh, I'm so glad to keep going back to meetings and having friends that remind me gently <laughs> that uh, maybe you you should want to listen to this <laughs> Kelly what about you Well I was also at the Wednesday night meeting and. It was a really great experience for me because this speaker was my grand sponsee, which for those of you who don't know, that means she is one of my sponsees' sponsees, <laughs> if that makes sense. And that perspective is always really amazing to me when I can hear someone speak that I've known since their first day, since they came in. And since I don't work with her, you know, I, I don't know her story in the way that it was presented at the meeting. And, um, but I have seen her change, you know, she is a very different person today than she was a couple years ago when she came in. And so for me, that's a lot of times what I get out of the, um, I guess it's our version of an open talk, but, you know, just to see how much you can change 
for the better with this program. So that was, it was really great. And, you know, the denial thing, I guess, was important too. So. <laughs> um, the Friday night meeting, I also had the same reaction, Swetha. As soon as they finished the reading, I was like, ugh, who picked this? This is horrible. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything and it sucks. But then everyone started sharing and Spencer, you would have been proud. I, I had stuff to say. I almost shared. I just didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't butt my way in. So I figured, you know, I'm trying to trust my higher power. Maybe it just wasn't my time. But anyway, <laughs> that meeting was great. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll keep coming back. How's that? <laughs> um, and then I did go to an AA open talk last night, which was also really great. Um, it was, uh, a, a younger speaker and it was her first open talk and she was extremely nervous, but, um, she did an amazing job and, mm-hmm. Um, also along the lines of the speaker from Wednesday night, it's, it's so funny how I can quote unquote know someone in the program and really know nothing about them. Like I had no idea that her story was, um, as tumultuous as it was. So, um, so that was great as well. All right. Thanks. And, uh, so next week we will be talking about enabling uh, which Yikes. is generally a good, strong topic for a lot of us. Um, we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. So please uh, leave a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about enabling. Kelly, how can people send us feedback? Well, there are several ways. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. So if you have some thoughts now, either on enabling or on our topic today of what is Al-Anon, you can put your podcast on pause and call us at 734-707-8795. Or if you prefer, you can send us an email at feedback at com. And we would love to hear from you. So please share your experience, strength, and hope about today's topic or about enabling. Or if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about that we haven't covered yet, uh, definitely let us know that too. If today's discussion raised a question in your mind, or if you have questions you'd like us to address about enabling, give us a call. So, Swetha, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? They can learn more at our website, therecoveryshow.com, which has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of Al-Anon Open Talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. Another way to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website is to leave your comments on the show notes or on the blog. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. And um, we have uh, actually there's one piece of listener feedback that that came in this morning. Um, it was on. I, I finally posted a new Al-Anon Open Talk. Um, and if you haven't listened to Mary Pearl, um, she has really hilarious and and really has a lot of wisdom. Um, the one I posted is, is she's talking mostly about uh, steps uh, six, seven, eight, and nine um, about. Um, uh, becoming ready to have our, our character defects removed and then um, about making amends. And she has some amazing stories from her own experience that uh, really illuminated those for me. Um, I understand that, that I guess she may be a little controversial in the, in the community, but I like her. <laughs> um, she's, she's really down to earth. Um, and we had, um, so uh, uh, one of our listeners, Mark, commented uh, on on that uh, uh, that open talk post that uh, Mary Pearl is awesome, 
And uh, <laughs> thanks, Mark. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, we're glad you're here, and uh, please keep coming back. Uh, so, uh, uh, and we had an email. I had an email from Jeff who says, "Hey, I found your show through Recovered, uh, which is uh, a sister podcast on the uh, the Andy Mark Network." And uh, Recovered is uh, also a recovery podcast, more aimed at AA, but with Al-Anon participation. And uh, Jeff asks, have you thought about putting your show up on Stitcher? Uh, Stitcher Radio is uh, is an app you can download to your smartphone that will play podcasts without having to download them to the phone first. Oh. And and my answer to Jeff is, yes, uh, I've thought about it. It's on my to-do list. Um, I spent my uh, sort of time I had available to work on the website this week replacing our podcasting plugin because there was a security hole in the old one um, and so I had to, to replace it and and of course ran into some issues and had to deal with those issues and um, so it'll, it, it will happen Jeff um, so uh, Swetha how are we uh, what's our what's our next music that we're going to close with uh, we're going to close with The Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson um, I kind of talked to somebody about how to describe this earlier but uh, I, I like I like what uh, Kelly was saying it's obvious it's The Man in the Mirror <laughs> also awesome song <laughs> um, for those of you that aren't familiar with it it's um, one of the lyrics he says in uh, the song is I'm starting with The Man in the Mirror I'm asking him to change his ways which is Alan on all over so uh, here we go change for once in my life it's gonna feel real good gonna make a difference gonna make it right as I turn up the collar on my favorite winter coat this wind is blowing my mind I see the kids in the street but not enough to eat Who am I to be blind Pretending not to see them need I saw us disregard A broken bottle top And a one-man soul They follow each other on the wind you know Cause they got nowhere to go That's why no one yet to know Yeah.
Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.